It's July 30th, 2014, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First, we'll cover some local science and tech stories. Then we'll have two news guests before the break to talk about low nations and doing business in China. We have uh, David Aquino from Blue Startup Foundation, and uh, he's here to tell us about We Efficiency campaign, and Biling Chua from High Beam will tell us about an upcoming talk. Finally, we'll learn about advances in prosthetics with two experts in the, pe- in the field. Have your questions and suggestions ready to call in or tweet, but first the headlines. The Hawaii Tourism Authority yesterday began accepting applications for community-based projects that create opportunities for economic development and natural resource preservation while enhancing experiences for visitors. Selected projects can receive up to $100,000 from the authority's brand experience programs. That includes the County Product Enrichment Program, which makes up to $40,000 to proposals from Oahu, Maui, Kauai, and the Big Island applicants, uh, which can include nonprofits and government agencies. County-specific projects are designed to address niche areas, including agritourism, ecotourism, edutourism, health and wellness tourism, and techno-tourism. Funds are also being made available under the Authority's Natural Resources Program, which makes a million dollars available each year to help protect, manage, and improve the natural environment. And the Living Hawaiian Culture Program, known as Kukula Ola, are aimed at strengthening the relationship between the visitor industry and the Hawaiian community. They sponsor events that celebrate Native Hawaiian culture and support activities and marketing programs that are respectful and accurate. uh, Applications which are due in September are for projects to be conducted next year. The year's awardees on Oahu include this past weekend's Dragon Boat Festival and next uh, weekend's Gabi Pahanui Kanikapila in Waimanalo. Mike McCartney, HTA president and CEO, said in a statement, our programs allow the HTA to support community-initiated efforts to protect, perpetuate, and promote our diverse natural and cultural resources, as well as to create tourism product and world-class events. Now, I I love this term here, techno-tourism. That's what stood out to me as well. And, yeah. you know, we've we've been talking quite a bit about the growing uh, local tech industry and startups and co-working spaces. And I think that when they talk about funding that's available to introduce visitors to different sides of island life, maybe niche areas, I think we've we it might be about time to be doing techno-tourism. Like, if they do, they regularly do tours at the uh, Nelha uh, on the Big Island mm-hmm. or at the Institute for Astronomy at Manoa, I'm sure they could propose a program and maybe get some state funding and get included in some of these uh, Well, events. I think it's high time to have uh, kind of a tech-oriented activity that maybe is sponsored by HTA. You know, I, I did a Google search on uh, techno-tourism just because I thought it was kind of a novel thing. And, uh, you know, the document that came up was like two years old. So right. and it's I, been around. And I've been looking at the past projects, and they are very worthwhile. Of course, many signature events like the Merry Monarch Festival or the Hawaii International Film Festival, islands that sell uh, events that and uh, tours that celebrate specific industries on specific islands. So, again, I think this might be a good call to action or an opportunity for someone who says, hey, we do have entrepreneurs and tech people visiting the islands. What kind of opportunities can we create for them to consider it part of a vacation, but also kind of, you know, interact with this community? Good idea. I'd like to see more of that. Well, um, there were also a couple of major milestones reached in two separate telescope projects, one on Maui and one on Hawaii Island. First, the University of Hawaii last week was awarded a major contract to build a specialized $5 million instrument to be installed at the Daniel K. Inouye Solar Telescope, which is now under construction atop Haleakala. 
Meanwhile, on Friday, the last legal challenges to the 30-meter telescope were put to rest with the State Board of Land and Natural Resources declining the last contested case requests. The more than $1 billion project could begin construction as soon as this fall. On Maui, the Inoue Solar Telescope, renamed from the Advanced Technology Solar Telescope last December, will be outfitted with the cryogenic near-infrared spectro-polymer... This is a tricky word here. Polarometer. (laughs) Which will allow astronomers to measure solar magnetism beyond the sun and study how the energy interacts with Earth. The instrument will be one of the largest ever built by the UH Institute for Astronomy and will be built at the university's Advanced Technology Research Center on Maui. Completion of its assembly is expected to coincide with the telescope's scheduled first light observations in 2019. As for the 30-meter telescope, state officials overruled objections by Native Hawaiian groups who said that the university had improperly issued a sublease to the TMT project. That sublease was approved last month but tabled pending last week's deliberations. With those contested case requests denied, TMT officials announced on Monday that they would move forward with construction beginning with a site dedication ceremony in October. The TMT is expected to be the largest optical telescope in the world. Well, you know, we've been following the uh, TMT for uh, quite a while, and, of course, this uh, billion-dollar telescope is really going to sort of change the, uh, um, I think, the capabilities on on Mauna Kea. I mean, it's going to increase our viewing capability on top of the mountain. I think we'll be getting some pretty interesting uh, sights from there. And I think it was last week when we talked about the Tech Tuesday event on the Big Island, Mm -hmm. which just happened yesterday, and the TMT was one of the presenting organizations. They had Sandra Dawson, manager of the Hawaii Community Affairs Program at TMT, and she talked about how it could create and should create opportunities in technology across Hawaii, but certainly on the Big Island. Um, She had said, you know, you can't run a project in Hawaii from D.C., a lesson learned from past projects. Uh, they talked about the Think Fund, the educational fund that TMT is putting a million dollars a year for uh, Hawaii Island education programs. And although that was scheduled to launch in a few months, they've moved that up. And in two weeks, they're going to start distributing or working on some of those those funding programs through the Hawaii Community Foundation. Well, that's great. You know, TMT, over this long process of, of getting approvals to, to build the uh, telescope, have really focused on programs that, you know, benefit the community. And I think uh, this whole idea of uh, job opportunities, I think, is a, is a good one to focus on. And we'll be continuing to follow this story for the years and years it of takes course. to come to reality. And finally, here's a couple of uh, items of interest we wanted to share with you. Following a town hall held last week to discuss investments made by Maui-based Emblum, the technology fund announced that it has enlisted Pono Shim to serve as a volunteer advisor Sim, Shim, the CEO of Enterprise Honolulu, said in a statement, I believe we have an opportunity at hand that uh, can lift us all in the technology sector. And after years of planning and regulatory challenges, Big Island-based Hawaii Oceanic Technology said last week that it is ready to begin building its first ocean sphere, a large enclosed cage in which the company will farm tuna. CEO Bill Spencer told West Hawaii Today that with six months of testing and 18 months to raise the first bath batch of fish, it will still be 2017 before the first tuna will hit the market. And now joining us is Dave Aquino from the Blue Planet Foundation to tell us about We Efficiency. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks, Bert. So We Efficiency, I, I was able to uh, go to the presentation when you first launched it, and I thought it was kind of a kind of a novel uh, approach, and, and you guys coined this t- term called lonation. 
maybe you can help us uh, help us understand what a lonation is. Right. So through the WeFishency program, um, as you know, the nonprofits can gather community support to fund their energy upgrades. And these are upgrades like LED lighting, modern LED lighting, or AC systems, or making um, upgrades to the way that their building operates and uses electricity. And um, yeah, it taps into community support. So people pledge their support in the form of a loanation rather than a donation. And a loanation is kind of it's not a loan. It's more than a, it's more than a donation, and it's not a loan because you actually can help your nonprofit become energy efficient, mm-hmm. and then use those energy savings to pay you back. So, so, so when you say pay you back, so you let's say you put in fifty dollars, mm-hmm. and they apply that toward an energy efficient program. What the and whatever savings they make, they can actually write you a check later on for that fifty dollars. Right. So you help the nonprofit with your pledge of fifty dollars. You help the nonprofit say um, change out their lighting to high efficiency LED lightings, and now all of a sudden the nonprofit is saving month after month on the mm-hmm, electricity mm-hmm. bill. They use a portion of those savings, which is pretty much new money for the nonprofit, to pay the supporter back. So I can get my fifty dollars paid back to me on a monthly basis over time. And the beauty of it is I can take that support, roll it over to help the next nonprofit. I can donate it right back to the nonprofit that I was originally supporting, or I can withdraw it. So I have many options with my donation. Mm-hmm. Well, I like the model. I mean, a lot of people understand, say, Kickstarter, which is donate some money, and you may or may not get something. You know, they even had to warn that they're not a store, that, that donations or uh, supporting projects at uh, Kickstarter don't necessarily always end up in something. And I've supported projects that have failed. But uh, this is even better in the sense that you're doing a good thing. It's 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 like making any other pledge to a nonprofit. But yes, you don't just say $40, that was great, or $50, but uh, you, you get it back, or more likely, as you said, say, well, now I want to put that into another nonprofit and their project. And uh, I think, you know, we've recently discussed ways to reduce energy consumption. Switching light bulbs seems straightforward, and it seems simple. But when you're talking about, say, a business or a building, that's a bigger project in itself and with a much bigger price tag. What are some of the other projects and what are some of their goals that are uh, currently up at the efficiency site? So getting back to the point of, you know, this is focusing on energy efficiency and, you know, Kickstarter is kind of one of the poster child crowdfunding sites out there. So um, efficiency is similar to Kickstarter, but efficiency focuses solely on energy efficiency upgrades, which unlike um, Ryan, as he said, you know, sometimes you supported projects with Kickstarter that happen to fail. With um, efficiency, you know, energy efficiency is guaranteed to save energy and guaranteed to save money. And that's the beauty of efficiency is that it focuses on an upgrade that, you know, is guaranteed to help the nonprofit for years and years to come. Mm-hmm. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, uh, you know, one of the projects that is part of WeFishency is Hawaii mm-hmm. Public Radio. But tell us a little bit about the, the other two as well. Right. So we, we, sh- we recently launched a program in May, and we had three nonprofits come on board initially, and that was the YWCA of Oahu. We had Damien Memorial School, and the last one was Hawaii Public Radio. Mm-hmm. And um, YWCA actually just uh, recently fully funded and successfully funded their campaign, and they were the first success through the WeFishency program. So they raised about $15,000 to upgrade a portion of their lighting in their downtown building to high-efficiency LEDs, which are going to save them over $8,000 a year. So how is uh, Hawaii Public Radio doing? And Hawaii Public Radio is actually doing really well. They're about 70% to their goal. So making really good progress, and they have three days left in the campaign. So the campaign will run until Sunday at midnight. And um, so if you want to support Hawaii Public Radio, you know, org is a place you can find their project. Hawaii Public Radio is trying to upgrade their lighting also to high-efficiency LEDs, which is 
really going to help them, you know, save a lot of energy and work towards, you know, more sustainable energy future. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. says that every dollar loan through efficiency yields $5 in total energy savings. If you remember our pledge campaigns, and it's finding the funding to bring good programming. And I think that the less money spent on electricity bill is better for everybody, for sure. Right. And, you know, it's a cool concept, this leverage philanthropy. When I put in a dollar, it becomes $5 in energy savings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my contribution goes much, much further through energy efficiency, through a program like efficiency. So I know everybody's ready to, you know, like click on the uh, Lonation button. So where do they go to actually do this? So you can visit the website, weefficiency.org. That's just efficiency with a W in front. So mm-hmm. weefficiency.org, and you'll see the three projects up there, um, Hawaii Public Radio, YWCA, already fully funded, but, you know, they, they are a successful project on the site, and then Damien Memorial School. And we're hoping to bring on many more nonprofits. So any nonprofit that pays an electricity bill can participate. So, you know, anyone you know who wants to participate in this program, please send them to the Weefficiency site also. And if you want to support your nonprofit, you know, go check it out. That's great, David. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Now joining us is Bingling Chua from Highbeam, and she's here to tell us about an upcoming talk. It focuses on intellectual property and technology transfer issues in China. Welcome back to the show, Bingling. Thank you. Glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about this uh, program that uh, you're, you're um, uh, I guess, uh, helping organize, and maybe tell us a little bit about the speaker that you brought in. Okay. All right. Now, as you know, Highbeam, we have a, we have a program that will help our portfolio companies mm-hmm. develop their strategies for Ch- Asia and China. And one of the things that uh, we know is that, on one hand, companies um, n- companies are aware of all the enormous opportunities in business in China. But on the other hand, they are deathly afraid of uh, losing their IP, uh, getting their trademarks and their trade secrets compromised or stolen. So we have um, we have invited a uh, Mr. Tan Lokun or Lokun Tan, who is a partner and um, and the head of the Baker McKen- and McKenzie, is an international U.S. law firm, and he is the head of the intellectual property practice group in Hong Kong and China. So Mr. Tan has. Um, over 25 years of experience helping companies, especially multinational companies, tackle the problems of um, piracy and loss of intellectual property. So he's going to help companies who have those fears of doing business in China, uh, help them to manage their commercial expectations and leverage on the good, bad, and ugly mm-hmm. of the Chinese IP system. Is he is he based in, in Hong Kong? Yes, he's based in Hong Kong. He, he was actually um, in San Francisco and he agreed to fly down to Hawaii to come and speak at this uh, talk. So, 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 you know, I'm coming kind of curious because I, I, you know, signed up because I'm curious what he has to say. But mm-hmm. uh, is there, what are some of the key protections that I think companies have uh, when they go into China for their intellectual property? Is it the body of law that's going to protect them? Well, I, well, it would be that, it would be that if, you, if you want to go into that, um, that region, you would have to have patents, international uh, patents filed. Um, but if you don't want to have patents, you can also uh, protect yourself with trade secrets and trademarks and these are the things that a, 
a law firm, a, a law expert would be able to help you develop a strategy that would protect your mm-hmm. technology, your product, or your brand, especially it's your brand um, when you're in those markets. Mm-hmm. Now, Beeling, this is actually part of a long-term project mm-hmm. that you've been telling us and giving us updates about uh, for some time about increasing that sort of uh, business connections between Hawaii and China, including tours to visit China for local businesses. Just mm-hmm. uh, quickly, how is that program overall doing? The program is doing pretty well. We started in 2011, and I must say that uh, Baker McKenzie has been very helpful to us. And for two years, they have sponsored the Hawaii Tech Asia Forum uh, when we were in Hong Kong. So, um, so, so in 2013, we had our third program, and and then we're going back again this year uh, at the end of the year with a group of companies technology mm-hmm. companies. Excellent. So you have uh, you have a couple things coming up, right? You have something in uh, what September or end of August and then uh, later on in later on in the year. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And uh, um, so the later on in the year one is actually taking companies back to China and, and going yes, through the Yes, right. Yeah. But um, one of the things is that the educational part of the program is very important, which is why uh, Mr. Tan is here. Mm-hmm. You know, he if um, he would he would be telling us about the same thing when we're in, when we're in Hong uh-huh, Kong. But right, this time, right. because he's here in Hawaii, he'll be giving that message to everybody else who have not been able to, who are not able to go on the trip with us. Uh-huh. So, um, so in December, what we'll do is that we'll we'll go to Hong Kong, and uh, we may choose to also go to China, and it will be all about. Uh, setting up meetings, all about meeting people mm-hmm. who would be strategic to your business growth in, in China and Asia. So the educational part of it is taken care of by the, attending the Hong Kong Forum, whom we all we have a partnership with, mm-hmm. so that the Hong Kong companies would get their, no, sorry, the Hawaii companies would get their information and education from the forum taking place and we would set up all the meetings for them to meet their strategic partners and investors. So tell us where, when uh, this uh, talk is going to take place. All right. The talk is going to be this Friday, August the 1st, from 3 to 5 p.m. at the Sullivan uh, Conference Center, the University of Hawaii Cancer Center in okay. Kaka'ako. And um, the UH Cancer Center is our co-organizer, and we're also being supported by the University of Hawaii uh, the Vice President's Office of Innovation and Research. And uh, where's the website that they can go to sign up? All right. They can go to um, IP, IPTTChina.eventbrite.com. Well, not just going to highbeam.org. They can also go to that. <laughs> right? I just wanted to give them a shortcut oh, to, okay, okay. to well, go will, signed up. We will put that link on our uh, website yeah. over at uh, bitemarkscafe.org. Well, thanks, B. Ling and Thank Dave for joining us. Thank you, Bert. Thank you very much. And that's what's Thank been happening you. this week. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Dan Uyunten and Kai Newton from the Rehab Hospital of the Pacific. What are some of the advancements in prosthetics? We'd, of course, love to hear your thoughts or questions as part of this conversation, so please give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And, of course, we're live here in the studio. You can tweet us your questions at Bite Marks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe. 
The New York Times calls her one of the jazz world's finest. HPR is thrilled to welcome back to the Atherton studio vocalist and pianist Karen Allison for her only Honolulu appearance this year. Join us for a sophisticated evening of bossa nova, ballads, blues, and beyond. Two performances only Friday and Saturday, August 15th and 16th at 7.30 p.m. For tickets, please call 955-8821 or purchase online at hprtickets.org. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm MJ Ryan, author of Adaptability. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about how to survive change you didn't ask for. Sunday morning at 11. Welcome back to Bite Mars Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Dan Nguyenton and Kai Newton. Dan is the director of the Robinson Family Innovation Center at the Rehabilitation Hospital of the Pacific. Kai, meanwhile, is owner of Advanced Prosthetics and Orthotics of the Pacific. And what innovations are taking place in the field of prosthetics? Uh, We'd love to hear your questions and comments. And, of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Dan and Kai, we want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Hi, yep. good Thanks afternoon. For Thanks us. for having me. So the you know the um, area of prosthetics uh, obviously has uh, advanced quite a bit, uh, and I think uh, over the years, uh, you know, new materials, uh, new metals, new electronics. I mean, a lot has sort of gone into the advancement of, of prosthetics. Um, Dan, maybe you can sort of start us off with how. Perhaps uh, the the rehab hospital has maybe adjusted a little bit to accommodate some of these uh, new technologies over the course of maybe the last decade or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's been a lot of uh, technology put into a lot of these prosthetics now, and the joints move a lot more um, naturally. Mm-hmm. I would say, mm-hmm. um, and the the technology and the the developments of the the prosthetics also allow for a lot more function. And so you have people who are asking, can I wear this to go hiking? And the answer is usually, yes, we can work on trying to get you back to hiking. Or they want to get back to surfing or, or even, you know, sometimes even playing tennis. Um, and so what Kai's been doing with his, uh, with his business is really in, in, you know, capturing that, that, that technology and, and offering it to the people of Hawaii, mm-hmm. which is a really great thing. So Kai, maybe you can give us a little sense of uh, you know advanced prosthetics and orthotics. I mean, what do you guys what do you guys do with respect to uh, getting the let's say the the patient prepped prior to perhaps going to the rehab hospital? Sure. Well, you know the where we come in is um, after the individual has gone through that initial recovery, um, they've done the uh, some of that. Uh, primary rehab where they're trying to uh, improve their endurance, uh, get their strength back, uh, that's when the physician would normally refer them to us. And uh, we would be involved with the uh, evaluation, the design, and the fabrication of the prosthetic device. And uh, depending on what we see as far as their capabilities and their potential, that would more or less dictate um, the type of prosthetic that uh, would be recommended for them. uh, obviously, uh, people are at different stages of their life, and uh, we coordinate with the therapists as well as the physicians to make a determination of you know how to move forward with that device. Mm-hmm. 
Now, Kai, I mean, I I, I think that uh, some of us have a basic idea of prosthetics. Uh, maybe a more uh, uh, popular depiction of it in recent years is the really fascinating sort of synthetic bow that is used for some uh, marathon runners sure. or sprinters that kind of, they say, mimics the movement of a gazelle. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, that's a long way from what I remember of prosthetics and uh, a classmate that had, you know, what I think was a prosthetic leg, mm-hmm. which was more designed to be visually like a leg, but d- didn't seem particularly comfortable or useful. I mean, uh, how has the overall field evolved? I, I kind of like that uh, at least in the Olympic example, it's not so much anymore trying to replace the, uh, the aesthetics of it, but mm-hmm. the usefulness of it, the utility of it. And it definitely seems like technology has advanced quite a bit. Sure, no doubt. Um, you know, the the advent of, of composites and, and plastics and, uh, you know, different types of, of resins and, and obviously from the perspective of the technology uh, that's in, incorporated into these devices, including microprocessors, uh, sensors, uh, gyroscopes, I mean, it, it all kind of uh, is is being used now to uh, uh, develop uh, and design these prosthetic components, knees, hands, uh, ankles, feet, uh, that will uh, essentially just really uh, give a dramatic improvement in the function and, and uh, more or less the, the use of these devices and, and improve the, the outcome uh, during that daily, daily uh, use of it. So when... Fitting somebody with the uh, appropriate prosthetics. I mean, I think uh, you know the the image for me is is similar to to Ryan's, where you know aesthetically it might have looked like a leg back, you know, maybe fifteen twenty years ago. Sure. But now, with the kinds of advancements in in the material science, and uh, you could actually fit somebody more appropriately for running. Sure. Uh, and then perhaps. Uh, you know, if they're a marathon runner, I mean, that's what you would you would be perhaps fitted with a blade, or maybe if you wanted to just hike, mm-hmm. it's more appropriate for something to be uh, accommodate walking. Sure. So would a would a, a patient potentially have a variety of different prosthetics that they could use? Well, you know, in a perfect world, yes, they'd have this you know kind of this multitude of options to them. Um, unfortunately, there's there's usually more limitations than that. Um, uh, for for most folks, um, well, for a lot of folks, cosmesis is, uh, and and the appearance of the prosthetic is still very important to them. They they want something that that still looks like a leg. Uh, but to speak on you know the those devices that that you guys are speaking of that kind of look like that blade and you see that carbon fiber strut that that certainly is meant more for. Uh, that that high activity function mm-hmm. and not so much even high activity, but a lot of these guys will use that for daily use and some people are very proud of that you know that very high tech look um, it It really is a very individual type of thing now dan i 'm kind of curious about the prevalence of the need for these sorts of uh, prosthetics in Hawaii. Um, certainly a rehab hospital in the Pacific would be one place to to get a read on that. I would imagine mm-hmm. that uh, as uh, medical technology has been able to uh, save lives that normally could not be saved. I th- I'm thinking in particular, say, in military uh, operations and combat, for example, that it's more and more common that prosthetics are, are, are coming into use because um, we're able to save people despite difficult injuries. And that's not counting, say, things that come from birth. Mm-hmm. So in Hawaii, is, uh, is this a, a growing field? Is this a place where a lot of advancement is being done uh, specifically to the islands? Yeah. At uh, Rehab Hospital of the Pacific, we actually work with a lot of people, um, 
you know, the geriatric population, mm. uh, those who had amputations because of complications from diabetes and those kind of uh, situations. Mm-hmm. So we do see quite a bit of prosthetics, but they're not going to be a lot of sports-specific mm. or, or geared towards sports. I did actually have the opportunity to work with one. She was a Marine, and, um, and she was... Uh, sustained repeated injuries to her knee and to the point where it was deemed that you know she she wanted to just get on with her life so she actually kind of voluntarily asked the surgeon to take her to mm-hmm. take her leg off because it was it was just so painful that she couldn't function and she was a young woman too she's maybe i don't know 50-ish, somewhere around there. So she did have a lot of life left and she was interested in getting back into running marathons. So um I believe this is probably one of the first genium braces, uh, knee prosthetics that uh, Kai worked on here. And we're, we're fortunate that uh, I was actually fortunate to be the therapist to work with this um, individual. And uh, the technology and the ability for the new microprocessors and the gyroscopes to wor- articulate at the knee, it, it's amazing. It's, uh, it allows a person to function more normally, mm-hmm. where prosthetics when you have a above knee amputation what they call an aka um you you lose your knee and you also lose your foot so there's a lot of problems with mobility it's basically the old technology was a, a hinge joint where you just kind of right, kick right. it out there it snap you know and and lock and then you could take a step with your good leg mm-hmm. but now with the new uh, technology with the genium um it's the you know the person can actually start to work and have this knee programmed to so that it can adjust to how they walk. They can speed up and run or slow down. They can even walk backwards up and down stairs. So it, it really brings that, that therapy to a new level of, of function and what we have to try to get this patient to do. So you, yeah. you, made the, you use the term genium. I mean, is that a, is that a brand? Is that a, a sort of a, a technology? What, what exactly is that? Sure. Dan's referring to the, uh, the genium prosthetic knee system, uh, or we kind of refer to it as a component. Um, it's a, a, a component that's made by a company called Autobach. They're a German company. And um, uh, this is something that uh, we've you know continued to uh, make sure that we've got the training at Advanced Prosthetics uh, to you know bring those types of devices and those systems to to the people of Hawaii. Um, the uh, the thing that uh, distinguishes that system from just about you know any other system is that it it does incorporate this uh, gyroscope uh, as well as sensors that are measuring torque across the knee joint, and uh, it's actually uh, controlling through a microprocessor this hydraulic unit and um, it still works on momentum so think of that lowered leg section as kind of a pendulum that swings out there but depending on if the person's walking across um, you know the street which may require a faster walk or faster gait uh, or maybe the person's just kind of standing in line to get a movie ticket or something uh, that that computer uh, uh, or that excuse me that knee is going to utilize that onboard computer and along with uh, algorithms to make adjustments and real time to be able to uh, uh, change how it's going to function for that person. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, they have a remote control as well uh, that will allow them to switch in between modes and allow them to choose maybe a function that they want for that 
that specific period of time. We're talking to Dan Uyunten of uh, Rehabilitation Hospital of Pacific, as well as Kai Newton of Advanced Prosthetics and Orthotics of the Pacific about advancements in technology, in prosthetics, and in rehabilitation. And if you've got a question, you can now reach the experts live on the air at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. And, of course, we're also monitoring Twitter. Now, Dan, as excited as I am as a geek about the technology and uh, sensors and, and being able to remote control a leg and switch modes and get into a soccer game, for example, you did say something that I thought was important as well, which is part of it is the the prosthetic, the technology, but part of it is still the therapy piece that you mm-hmm. were able and fortunate to work and help someone uh, learn to live life with one of these prosthetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, has that advanced? I mean, is it basically, is rehabilitation as a therapy in, in your practice and what you do essentially the same and you're just getting to benefit from new tools and prosthetics? Or have you seen a change in what you do to be able to help people uh, get back into life? Right. Well, the the theories behind what we actually do haven't really changed. Um, how we apply those theories have over the last five five years or so. We've had a lot of development in robotics and um, and uh, new treadmills, new suspension systems, um, just devices that allow the therapist to be more creative and keep the patient safe. That's one of the big things is that we want to work on very high-level tasks, high-level balance, but we also want to keep the patient safe. And so a lot of these new technologies also allow us to do that. Um, one in particular that uh, we were using, especially with this young lady who received the Genie Embrace, was the Alter-G anti-gravity treadmill. Um, I'm not too sure if uh, anyone's seen the, the YouTube videos or anything of LeBron James running in it, but he's running in this bubble, and the bubble's kind of in, encapsulating the, the treadmill. Um, so at Rehab Hospital, we've been uh, one of the first on the island to implement that as part of uh, rehabilitation. Um, obviously, we don't have LeBron James or anyone at that, that athletic level <laughs> running inside of our alter-Gs. But um, basically what it does, it, it takes the equation of gravity out. You know, It takes gravity out of the equation. And so gravity is one of the biggest reasons why people have difficulty with taking nice long steps with their balance. Mm-hmm. And so if we can remove that gravity and then actually have the person take longer steps and, and feel comfortable that they're not going to fall. And so in the case of this, this lady who received this prosthetic leg, um, we were able to get her into the Alter-G anti-gravity treadmill, and she was able to practice her her cadence and her step lengths in a very safe environment. And we, we were able to decrease her body weight up to, you know, 20% of her body weights, which is pretty close to walking on the moon. Mm-hmm. So at that point, mm-hmm. we actually got her in there and she could, she could practice actually taking skipping and jumping and, and hopping and even running. She actually, one of her goals was to eventually try to do the marathon eventually. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, I, I know you use the word, uh, keep your patients safe and, with the new prosthetics, uh, there might have uh, maybe it has an influence of, of of raising the expectation of what oh. they can potentially do. So, definitely, uh, is the the rehabilitation process uh, one of which you try to maybe manage that expectation? Sure. We, I mean, with every patient, we we try to set a goal. Mm-hmm. There, it's what we do is for that person. And we, we individualize all of the, the treatments, the goals for what that person wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's going to be some limitations to what they're going to be able to do, say, you know, they're not going to go 
free diving or skydiving with this leg and and you know some people have some off the wall uh request um but for the most part we try to really try to get people to to get to the point where they're happy with their lives that's that's the main goal is to get people back to their lives and and have a sense of of uh, you know normalcy mm-hmm. after after something so traumatic as having your leg removed you know? right mm-hmm. right you know, we're speaking to Dan Uyuntin and uh, Kai Newton uh, about uh, prosthetics and the sort of technology that's enabling uh, uh, patients to perhaps uh, do even more. And, of course, if you have a comment or question, here's the experts. You can reach them at 941-3689 on Oahu or from the neighbor islands at one eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. 941 We want to welcome Susan from Honolulu to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. Sure. Um, I have a question for your panel members. Um, you spoke about the Autobot system, and I know that's widely used in Germany. When do you see that that would be as widely used here uh, in Hawaii? Okay, Kai, is that is that a question for you? Sure, I'd be happy to answer that. Um, I, I guess may I maybe you misunderstood me. Um, that that system uh, we've been providing here probably for the last ten years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, uh, that that uh, knee system uh, is uh, something that we're very familiar with uh, and have provided a number of clients with, uh, and we continue to work very closely with uh, physical therapists, especially at the rehab of the Pacific, uh, in in you know. In Implementing those those components and, and making sure that uh, you know people are u- getting the full benefit from them. Uh, maybe describe quickly what sure. what that the system is is uh, more most capable of, of enabling. Well, you know, really, it like Dan was mentioning, it really gets us a lot closer to um, that normal walking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, w- prior to having these these components where you have a, uh, a, a microprocessor on board and, and sensors and, and uh, gyroscopes, it was really the equivalent of just a, a very simple hinge. Uh, we, you know, we incorporated hydraulics. We, uh, we, we designed them in such a way where they were uh, as safe as possible, but, you know, they, they really weren't, um, there wasn't kind of this intuitive component to it. And, and they are very much, um, uh, we can essentially you know, get someone fit with one, uh, you know, for example, a, a below the knee or excuse me, an above the knee prosthetic with one of these knee systems. And we can tell them, well, we just basically want you to kind of uh, walk as normally as possible. And, uh, and, and the knee is going to more or less kind of adapt to the way that you're functioning. Uh, that's quite different than the way we would tell someone to use a prosthetic in, in years past. Mm-hmm. We would have to tell them to, you know, this is really, you've got to kind of change how you're taking a step and you've got to use different muscles to stabilize the knee. And so uh, the, these these components are certainly available um, in Hawaii now and, and uh, we've been providing them for years. And mm-hmm. that's, that's part of our mission to make sure that we're constantly up to date with uh, with uh, that technology so that we can bring it back here. Thanks, okay, well, Susan, for thanks. your question. Yeah, thanks, Susan. Uh, Jared, we want to welcome you to Bite Marks Cafe. How's it going? Um, I was wondering how long it's going to take for the technology to catch up so that where what you replace is equivalent to what was taken away. 
That's a very straightforward and excellent question. Thank you very much for your call. Um, well, Dan, I mean, what was occurring to me when you mentioned that, uh, you know, we see a lot of amputations be due to complications as a result of diabetes, for example. Mm-hmm. And uh, is it a matter of cost? Is it a matter of availability? Is it a matter of social acceptance uh, where it might someday not be so difficult a uh, decision to say, well, unfortunately, past health uh, behavior might have led to this condition, but I can quickly get on a path to the future that the, this is just available. I can move to prosthetics and get on with my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, the answer today would be nothing man-made can ever really replace what you have, what you're born with. Because even even in, with joint replacement surgery, say a knee replacement, the the prosthetic is made to fit most. You know, it doesn't fit you perfectly. It's it's not um, it's not. Exactly the same as as what you you were born with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, m- who knows? Maybe the technology in the future will be able to customize the prosthetics, customize um, medical devices to the point where a person could have it that individualized. Um, but as it is right now, you know, you definitely want to try to stay healthy and keep <laughs> what you got. <laughs> Thoughts? Well, you know, it's a, it's a fair question. Um, I think that uh, I'm certainly not a you know, a, uh, a medical researcher and not an engineer. But um, from what I understand, you know, there, there's certainly, uh, you know, creating a device that's going to, uh, you know, somehow uh, attach or be able to, you know, almost be a regeneration of a limb. Um, I, my understanding is we're quite a ways off from that. Um, right now, uh, this kind of this technology that we're speaking of really is describes that that pinnacle of of what's uh, available in regards to prosthetic technology. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, you know I'd love to explore the future of prosthetics. Uh, we'll hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break and continue our conversation with Dan Uyuntin and Kai Newton about robotics and prosthetics. In fact, how is robotics changing this field and other advancements in medicine? Of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Keep those calls coming at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. You're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. The Chinese company Foxconn wants to address its high turnover rate by building a university. That means lots of high school dropouts could get a chance at an education. And much like a UPS driver becomes a CEO, they could actually be the future management executives of the company. I'm David Gura, bringing universities in-house, next time on Marketplace from APM. This evening at 6, following Bite Marks Cafe. Every memory you think you have of the past? The house you grew up in. Your first kiss. It's not simply an idea. It's a physical trace left in your brain. I own those memories. They define me. But what happens when those memories are stolen from you? In the blink of an eyelid. Can you imagine what to have one night 20 years long? That's what it's been like. Just like death. That's this week on Radio Lab. Saturday morning at 10, following The Splendid Table... Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And we're talking to Dan Uyuntin and Kai Newton about the advancements in prosthetics. And our advancements here in Hawaii, keeping pace with, is, with what is going on elsewhere. Of course, you can give us a call. And we're waiting for that call, 941-3689 on Oahu and 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And, of course, right before the break, we're, we're talking a little bit about the... Um, you know, the idea of, of course, you know, you got what you got and 
try to keep that healthy and you know there's not going to be that prosthetic that's going to perfectly match your body and your perhaps desired abilities uh, but in the case of the uh, the woman that decided that you know she was having a lot of knee problems and and I kind of assumed that you know the leg was still functional mm-hmm. but she had a decision to make and that decision resulted in her giving up the leg mm-hmm. right. so was it a point where the knee could never be repaired to perhaps uh, give her the mobility that she wanted and it it could only be achieved with a prosthetic yeah in in her situation um being in the military it there's through a lot of training a lot of injuries um a lot of repetitive motions that that damaged the knees mm-hmm. um she she did she did have multiple surgeries and she tried as best as she could along with her physicians and her surgeons to to save her leg um and to to live a, a life that it was impacted mm-hmm. by the pain um, and the inability to bend her knee or, or straighten her knee completely. And and when you lose that ability to bend or straighten your leg, um, getting on and off a toilet becomes a challenge. Well, uh, uh, going so up and down the stairs, you know. So so the pain and the difficulty with the with her knee, her natural knee, it was it just got to the point for her that she wasn't living the life that she wanted to, and pain was the limiting factor. So when you hear about the oper- knee operations and many people get knee operations and they replace their knee, is this not a case of uh, simply that replacing the knee? You know, I her case was several years ago. I'm not sure if she did have the knee replaced or and it and failed. I do, do recall the the individual that you're speaking of and I think that what transpired was um they they did try multiple attempts to address the pain uh, and the the lack of mobility that she experienced. Um, I do believe that one of the things that started to um, result in them considering um, uh, taking the limb was an, an issue with infection. Mm-hmm. And I think that that ultimately was a big part of the decision to that, okay, we've got to look at this next option. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I would tell anybody that <laughs> I would attempt every uh, limb salvage uh, option out there before you go to a prosthetic. There's nothing easy about using a prosthetic. Mm-hmm. Despite all of our advancements, um, it's it's still a, a, a you know um, a, a big uh, challenge, and, and you've got a long road ahead of you of rehab. Um, you know, if it occurs, I think that we're the best equipped than we've ever been to be able to address um, getting you going again. But you know, if if there's an opportunity to to, to keep what you've got, and uh, that's that's always going to be the best option. Mm-hmm. Well, Kai, I mean, I think it's good to hear you say that, and I, I think that, uh, in fact, our last caller is sort of where my headspace is, is mm-hmm. when will technology advance to the point where if I'm just sick of my sore arm, I can just swap <laughs> mm-hmm. one out. I can get a, go to a bat cave or, or Home Depot <laughs> yeah. and pick up a new <laughs> You'd be arm. amazed at how many 80-year-olds ask me that question right. every day. <laughs> well, can I trade this one in? <laughs> but the technology no. takes a long time. I'm specifically mm-hmm. remembering Dean Kamen, he of the Segway mm-hmm. and such, mm-hmm. was in Honolulu in 2007, I took a video of a presentation he was doing with his prosthetic arm with fingers that articulated, mm-hmm. and he was just beginning to develop that. That was 2007. That video was the first video I'd ever taken that went viral, like you know, other people were posting it and such. But it was only in May of this year that that Luke Skywalker arm, as people have been calling it, got FDA approval. Mm-hmm. So, you know, seven years from this cool video to actually being usable, it's not something that is... Uh, 
going to be right around the corner. But we talked a lot about legs. Kai, um, what is the current realistic practical um, applications for someone who, for example, needs a prosthetic arm? Sure. Well, upper extremity is, uh, um, believe it or not, well, it is a much larger challenge. Uh, You you think about the function of your hand and your upper extremity and, and the kind of dexterity that we're you know, we're born with uh, with with this limb. Um, it's uh, it, the technology has come a long way. Uh, we've uh, got hands that uh, have what they call articulating or, or fingers that actually bend, which is for a lot of people say, "Wow, that's that's only available now." But yes, believe it or not, it used to be more like a claw, where the where a lot of the fingers kind of articulated together. So now we have individual uh, uh, moving fingers. Uh, they're they're uh, serviced by little servo motors, and obviously the advancements in batteries have made a big impact as well. Uh, that means that, uh, you know, these things can last longer, uh, can do more things, can hold things better. Uh, and they're, they're even uh, incorporating sensors so that uh, if you, uh, you can actually, you know, determine, well, maybe if this thing is hot or cold or if it's heavy or if it's light. So there, there's that type of technology as well. Um, so it has come a long way. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, it's, it's still... Uh, nowhere near the your naturally functioning limb, uh, so um, you know it's it's. Uh, but it is something that uh, has has come a long way and mm-hmm. and is 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 available now. How is something like that controlled? I mean, I I, I mm-hmm. think the test that Dean came in was using was you know. Grip on, grip off sure. is not much. You know, are you grabbing a cup? Or are you grabbing an egg? Sure. You know, um, how does a user of one of these current devices manage that? Sure. Well, it's what they call proportional control, and um, the the term that that describes this is called myoelectrics. And there's actually uh, these sensors that we call electrodes that are built into this. Um, it's called a socket, or it's the receptacle that you put that person's the remainder of their limb, or we call it the residual limb, into. So those sensors sit on the outside of the skin, and we actually, um, and actually this is something that therapists and occupational therapists will will be primarily responsible for. They'll be teaching people how to re, uh, uh, kind of activate and what we call contract those muscle groups, and those sensors will pick up an electrical potential across the skin, and that will create a signal to the arm that, okay, I'm going to open the hand, I'm going to close the hand, and then Believe it or not, what we actually do too is there, there are um, hands now that uh, use iPhone applications that will allow them to uh, switch grip patterns, uh, allow them to uh, actually uh, change how the, uh, the, f- the hand is oriented so that uh, – uh, you know, they can match a situation uh, that they're dealing with at that point. That's There's an app for that. There yeah, no kidding. So are you saying <laughs> that the uh, the sensors, you know, I guess on the prosthetic interface with the arm itself, and there's sort of the mental ability to control through that center, sensor the articulation of the hand? So believe it or not, that that idea um, I guess has become reality. Uh, there, there's a, um, there's a, uh, I believe it's in Minnesota at the Mayo Clinic. There's a, a prosthetic that they've uh, developed where uh, they there's a surgical procedure called targeted muscle reinnervation, and they will. Um, uh, it's designed so that the person can have a thought and be able to say, okay, open or close or you know, point or, or create that grip pattern that they're looking for. That's something that we have, you know, it's, it's very much, at, uh, I guess, in development. Mm-hmm. But 
really where the uh, the way that it works now is is much more um i guess basic in nature the electrode just simply sits on the skin so Yes, the person's thinking open, but in reality, they have to learn how to um, basically contract or or tighten a muscle. You know, if you think about um, when you close your hand, you feel the underside of your forearm, those muscles uh, kind of uh, become tight mm-hmm. or, or uh, the belly of that muscle becomes, um, you know, kind of uh, contracted. Well, basically, we're teaching that person that by doing that um, action, that's the sensor is going to pick up that. And that's how you control oh. the, the, com- the component. And yeah. so this ability to train your brain to connect the action you want with the specific mm-hmm. signal to send to be detected. I mean, that sounds like a significant new kind of challenge for someone like you, Dan, to help someone um, work with uh, prosthetics. I mean, we've talked about mm-hmm. the leg prosthetics. It's about mobility. It's uh, definitely a fundamental part of life. But I would say, again, when you're talking about an arm, for example, that's probably more uh, important to someone in terms of uh, day-to-day tasks or, or social interactions. Mm-hmm. Have you had an opportunity to to kind of compare those experiences? Mm, unfortunately not. Uh, we we haven't had that technology come through at rehab hospital recently. I, I, and and being a physical therapist, I defer all of those hand, <laughs> complicated hand questions to occupational therapists who are experts at, at those kind of uh, uh, therapies and tasks. I'm kind of curious about the, you know, we're, since we're talking about the interface between the actual uh, arm or leg tissue and the actual prosthetic. I mean, are there advances in in making those connections, uh, I guess, better suited for the advancement in the prosthetic? Sure. Uh, that, you know, when you talk about a prosthetic device, that interface where the the, the human tissue uh, interacts with this artificial device, that is the key component of a prosthetic. Um, it, if that is not designed, fitting, functioning well, then really uh, – the technology that extends out from that a lot of times could be um, not not worth what it's you know able mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. it's just uh that that ability to uh, uh capture the movement or be able to give someone that comf- that level of comfort within that what we call prosthetic socket or interface is really important and technology has has really uh allowed for improvements in that as well you know just different types of thermoplastics uh um, we uh, we incorporate a uh, there's a system called the Revo Boa system, and it is used in ski boots. And it's a way of uh, using kind of a, a cabling system to tighten up, you know, a ski boot. Well, we're actually incorporating that in a prosthetic because one of the things that people deal with on a regular basis is that their li- the shape of their limbs will change. So by using this system, we can actually dial in a little bit more tightness, and that's something that is is you know definitely a result of advanced technology and and uh, a new option we can give people. Mm-hmm. Well, again, Kai, I like how you said that uh, you will use any method you can to try to preserve the limb. And the, and again, we're not at the sci-fi place where you can go shopping for this. Mm-hmm. So very quickly, Dan, um, another uh, um, barrier might be the cost. I mean, certainly uh, as the technology advances, probably these, these prosthetics get more expensive. Is there a general sure. range or what you see in terms of insurance coverage for someone, in, let's say, in the diabetes example? Yeah, sure. Um as far as insurance goes, you know, in America, we have thousands of pairs. Medicare, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, locally it's going to be HMSA. Um, they're, they're the most prevalent, but 
across the nation, there's hundreds and thousands of, of different pairs. Um, and believe it or not, some people, their full-time job is to just keep track of different insurances and, mm. and to guide our patients through that process. Um, as far as locally, uh, when we see the, the patients after they have their amputations and we, we start working with them in preparation for their, their prosthetics, we, we do work really closely with Kai and Advanced Prosthetics um, to, to make sure that they can get what their prosthetics are, are going to be covered um, through the insurance and whether it's Medicare, whether it's through HMSA or, or even Medicaid um, because really it, it's, it's not just a piece of equipment. Uh, you know, it's considered a medical equipment, but right. it's, it's really it's, it's a part of you that's really going to have an impact on your daily life, and that's, that's, it's more than just, say, a, a walker or a commode. Sure. You know? So I'm, I'm kind of curious, uh, at what level do you need to be at to, in order to, let's say, justify the, the alter G or the, you know, the full sort of um, uh, exoskeleton kind of uh, uh, prosthetic? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the exoskeleton that you're talking about, referring to, is the 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 exo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's created by Exobionics. It's a company in California. Um, Rehab Hospital is fortunate to be one of 52 or 53 in the world to have the exo. Um, it is expensive, which is why a lot of places don't have it, but we're fortunate to be a part of a great foundation and a hospital-based clinic that we can afford some of these technologies. And we do offer it willingly to uh, our patients as long as they do meet some medical requirements. Mm-hmm. We, don't, mm-hmm. we don't charge them extra because we, we use right. these specialized equipment. Now, Kai, if somebody wanted to see some of your company's work and, and some of the, uh, the, the equipment that's available, where can they go? Uh, the best place to start with would be apophawaii.com. Uh, that would be our website, and that's kind of the portal into our office. And uh, certainly if someone has questions, they can just give us a call and schedule an appointment. Fantastic. And, and, and Dan, where can people find out more about uh, rehab? So rehab has a website. It's rehabhospital.org. And the main phone line is 531-3511. Sounds good. Dan Uyuntin is Director of Rehab Hospital of the Pacific, and Kai Newton is the owner of Advanced Prosthetics and Orthotics. Uh, Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Please join us next week when we'll talk about social entrepreneurship and impact hubs. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on BiteMarksCafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback. Actually, I should correct that. News at BiteMarks.org. Of course, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chung, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Koslovich. We leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Brown Out and a song called Asteroid Lloyd. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Bite Marks Cafe.